0: Well, what I'm drawing here, um, which Tony Conrad said was, was fascistic, he said that was the most fascistic artist he ever met. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which, maybe we should just say right off the bat, like, I feel like... It always feels very vulnerable to be recorded. Mm-hmm. I got my questions. Oh, cool. awesome.
2: Not a video. No, okay. no video. No video. No, 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 uh, definitely not.
0: brought uh, stuff Probably.
2: You would have had to come an hour earlier just for makeup. Yeah,
0: we definitely uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a man, so it would make a difference. OK, uh, do you want to proceed? Do you want to, who, who's asking the question we're talking?
3: Well, I think you guys are going to start it off, right? It's
2: already a perfect beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: so, yeah, this is uh, another episode of Induction Burners. We have Peter Fenn and Leia Perez, um, and uh, they have prepared some questions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you, do you want to start? Or? Um,
3: so, first of all, Peter, are you an artist?
2: Uh, no, I'm not
0: an artist. I'm an architect, um, and I argue that there are four types of art. Uh, there is uh, drawing, there's painting, there's sculpture, and there's architecture. And this has to do with the manner of the reception of the work. So I can look at a Paul Sheritz and that's painting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I can look at video art by, say, Keith Sagnier or any number of people nowadays, and that's painting. Uh, I can look at Jenny uh, Holzer, and that's essentially drawing, uh, in that... The graphics, of course, read read as letters, but it is a drawing image, and it functions as a drawing, as read, as something to be read, not as, uh, as a graphic, okay. Um, and uh, everything I concern myself with, which I've realized retrospectively, is defined by Alberti as the four responsibilities of architecture assuring for a city or an area that's settled that have good quality water, Uh, good quality air, um, circulatory space, and defense. And I do all those things all the time. Now, most architects don't do that at all, but that's because architecture has been separated from art and is taught as essentially a rehash of itself. But the problem of the environment, therefore, of air, water, uh, circulatory space, and defense, these problems are uh, defined by Alberti as the main domain of architecture, and that's what I do.
3: One of the things we've talked about is how land artists were actually creating technologies to be used or things that you've described as technologies to be used. Um, do you want to talk about some of those works? Well
0: uh, maybe let will speak more broadly uh, my, I see the artist as pretty much what we saw in cave art as somebody who indicates a way to you with material. Um, uh, how do you hunt a buffalo uh, well, you throw a spear, and you make a painting of throwing the spear at the animal, and you also make a painting of the animal to understand what the target will be. And this will uh, encourage, in fact, uh, orient the men who are putting their lives at risk to go get that animal. And they'll figure out how to throw the spear and how to actually target the animal and think about the animal. So this function of art, very uh, simply for survival, Is I think uh, and also with fertility goddesses that is a way of uh, yeah that's what you want yeah you want that so you can have kids so you can survive and get through the winter and that it's aspirational it's a way of orienting yourself uh, and, and the tribe so we will survive bear in mind we've done this for two million years and only only very very recently has there been a very real change in technology. Um, and we now have a survival issue, too. Uh, but I would say that if artists are doing things like spiral jetty or lightning field or double negative, uh, these uh, could be indicating uh, new technologies, uh, new ways of dealing with land, uh, that are necessary to our survival. It's not just an idle uh, action. So when Don Rubel would say to me, well, what do you do, and I'm standing in front of a, of a, Frank Ta- a Mark Tansey painting, uh, showing uh, spiral jetty being viewed upon by head, uh, Indians in headdress and obviously living uh, off the land mm-hmm. as hunters. I think that's what I'm trying to make happen. I'm just trying to make that vision of Earth being um, treated uh, symbiotically and in terms of its larger energy fields and its animal populations, as opposed to just as a agricultural commodity. And uh, I think that uh, earth art or video art or other forms of uh, artistic activity. Uh, should be looked at as incipient technology
3: Hmm um, So in the late 70s uh, You were working well before his death you were working with Gordon Mata-Clark and Dennis Oppenheim to kind of bring out some of the more uh, Practically applicable uh, Parts of their work, right?
0: Well, I tried uh, I I saw I didn't know what to do in my life. I was um, Thinking of going to architecture, but I didn't want to go to architecture schools as the way they have them. And I was very excited uh, in the early '70s by people like Smithson and um, Boys. Um, Where did you encounter people
2: like that? Like in?
0: It was in books and yeah. I mean, it was
2: known. Yeah, it
0: was around. Totally obscure. I I was always following art, but I didn't think of myself as becoming an artist or being involved in the art world per se. Uh, what had happened? Um, I would be in Washington trying to get a job at the World Bank. I was sort of set up to have a job, and I would just be horrified by their mentality. Uh, a it was colonial. and B they knew nothing about art. They they looked at uh, they looked at the world through a kind of Renaissance uh, perspective painting frame. So you would have uh, sector reports on various parts of the economy and the society, which have nothing way of no way of putting it together. So I, a number of things occurred uh, in the early seventies where I pulled away from the world of diplomacy or law or. Uh, that kind of uh, management notion and saw art as a way of solving these problems. So I then, uh, in 76, came to New York, I'm working in a publishing house, working in history of of technology, and uh, I had a girlfriend who was an artist, that's how I kind of fell into the art world, and so I saw a show by Dennis Oppenheim, and I said uh, this show at uh, a gallery on 57th Street was premonitory of returning to wild animal systems in society. And then when I was thinking about maybe applying a law school out of my fingers came instead uh, a whole text with boys and Oppenheim and Earth art and Gunter Fruit Trunk and uh and,
2: Elaborate just for someone who doesn't know what Dennis Oppenheim's work looks like, like Well, you know, in that show. He like, was at that
0: time, uh, before he was forty, trying to be an earth artist. Um, and there's a kind of tragic story about that uh, in that the number of major initiatives in that direction failed dramatically, one being with Iran, and so then uh, essentially reverted to being a kind of uh, amusing artist of, of and not much consequence. Mm-hmm. But at that time, uh, at the time also that Jonathan Querry was very revering of him, and so was Jack Burnham. Uh, There was an attempt to have more work with the land and with processes, and he would do things, for example, uh, in the ocean with making methane gas, making flame from methane from rotting plants. That became a paradigm for me. So uh, that sort of work was being done, and I would write about that to him, and he found this very exciting, he then saw some drawings I made about the economy that uh, then Gordon Mana Clark saw, and Gordon liked those drawings and had me
2: join
3: him
0: in
2: what he said would be an architecture firm. The only problem there is he died. Can I back up one more? Like, how long were you in DC before you moved to New York? Not much.
0: No, it was Only about six months.
2: Because it seems like these kinds of like power structures are very like a part of your work. I just wondered whether that.
0: No, I well, I was thinking. The, the problem was that people wanted me me to become a lawyer or something like that, but. Uh, I didn't like law. I found it really just dis- disagreeable. I liked architecture, but didn't like the architecture of schools, and I was very confused. Why would people think you'd want that you should be a lawyer? Because I know how to read and write. Uh, those are useful. I have a history background. And yeah. So, they think, oh, you can read and write, therefore you've got to become a lawyer. That's the um, sad fact about American society. Uh, my best friend, who got me to set up the, the company, uh, had gone to Harvard Law School, and, but he regrets it to this day because he really wanted to be a musician. But these options are not made available. You go to a, a nice everyday college and you do reasonably well in reading and writing, oh, you're a lawyer. That's that's how we work. And the result is a, a, a very de- a serious denial of, well, the kind of life I've had. You know, going in another direction and no matter how much I fail or succeed I will have done something better than just working in a law firm but this is a yeah that's the usual thing people do in American colleges so in
3: 1979 you actually founded a consulting firm with uh jenny holzer and a few others no uh, jenny holzer was,
0: did that I, not i wouldn't say that i founded it okay I so just
3: to to lay down the name it was called the offices of fend fitzgibbon holzer naden prince and winters
0: right well the irony here is that jenny she and founded I, it with all those names well let me try to explain that a little bit jenny <laughs> and i uh jenny said you i don't know if you're gonna have her speaking but uh, she had thought of becoming a lawyer she had been, if you will, encouraged in that direction. Looking mm-hmm. at words,
2: she can clearly read and write. Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> and and that again the pressure, and um, uh, she wanted to do something that was already in the air and being talked about. I mean, I think it's published in six years by De Lapard, where uh, Heitzer and uh, Di Maria were going to have an, a, a construction firm. And there were other ideas about having group companies. And actually, Mana Clark wanted to create an architecture company with me and some other people that would not be like a normal architecture firm, it would be an architecture firm, so called. But it would be still building things, but in a totally different manner. Nothing like uh, what you see with, say, Björk um, Engels, which is more buildings. Right. So um, the thing is that that was in the air, that was in the late 70s. And Jenny, it is Jenny who, from the Colab tissue, extracted this group of people. Uh, that would be called The Offices of, well, in alphabetical order, art world, Fantastum <laughs> and Holster, Nadine, Princeton Winters. Uh, uh, but it uh, was immediately identified by a lawyer who, uh, my fr- friend from grade school, who had gone to Harvard Law School, was working on Wall Street, yeah. So I'll show a uh, analysis at Peter Nadine Gallery downtown, uh, thought, hmm, what's going on? So my friend, Peter Fend, came in, mm-hmm. found out about The Offices, and said, this is a, uh, you're not legal. You're not incorporated. This is a joke.
2: Were you guys making money? Like no, or, no. We were yeah. trying. We
0: were trying to. I mean, sure. I mean the point is that uh, this is the constant problem here in the art world. You do something, but you don't go far enough to make it legal to make it real. It's just sort of a gesture, and then it will collapse unnecessarily. Right. And that was what was happening with the offices. It. it it had a gesture, it was gonna do this and that. We went to the UN, we went to uh, some other companies. What did you do
2: at the UN? Like, what well, we you- were trying to,
0: Jenny was having this idea of uh, pleasure and function and how to organize labor to be more creative. And uh, understood, okay, good, and we went there, but we kinda of just sat around looking foolish and mm-hmm. pretending to be somehow bureaucratic, wearing business suits, okay. Did
2: they take this? They've had- they said yes come in we'll have a meeting well here. that's
0: the thing I mean it was this attempt of course to get outside the art world and to somehow deal with real people yeah but it was half joking it was not full-on and um, you would have a meeting and you sort of walk in and, and walk out and of course there's no contract because you're not in any way qualified to do what you're doing you're just much of artists and, right
3: you guys had a business card right that said yeah. what what did it say on it
0: i forget exactly but something to the effect that we would provide services um to uh, clients
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh something like that and uh, again the idea was to have art <laughs> a, uh habits be brought to bear on the world outside the art market
3: yeah you described it to me as in the same way that a lawyer might consult on matters of the law you as artists were going to consult on aesthetic questions but yeah. to entities outside the art world. Well,
0: more than more, not just aesthetic. I think material, cultural questions. that is to say, um, if you are looking at Spiral Jetty, then how can you have a farm? You have to really think differently about the land. If you're going to look at what uh, De Maria's um, is, wait, wait,
2: draw the line <laughs> there
0: like a, a bit. So well, There's a very different paradigm about land use. It's not a rectangle. Right. It's not like you're just having a crop field.
2: You're saying, like, why why return to a kind of rectangular sort of way of... Yeah, you're looking at a bio,
0: biodynamic system. I mean, the whole thing that uh, with entropy and the thing about the, re, the recurring uh, algae and so on. Yeah. All, you're looking at some kind of system in in periodicity that is uh, uh, not harvested like a farm field. I, I, I'll just say quickly, editorially, that this is why Agnes Dennis's wheat field is such a letdown, because we're not going back to farming. We're actually going forward to larger systems. Right. But um, the thing is that we all knew that, and we were all w- aware of that, and Lucifer was kind of noticing it, but whenever we actually did something with hardcore technology, as I did with these sisters of the offices, uh, you would have the critics becoming alarmed, or you'd have people like Martha Rosser being alarmed. Oh, how dare you go into technology? How dare you do something real? Don't invest in this, because now you're going really beyond art into some of that realm. And that was has been, I think, a very, very serious um, problem that there's a huge amount of resistance even from within the art world to artists taking on real issues and trying to have real solutions
2: were you and martha rossler friends like for
0: well, not initially, not at all. Yeah. I mean, she was extremely hostile to what we did after we had the company and so on. I would show what we did in the Persian Gulf, and she would tell the students that he's a technocrat. Don't pay attention to him. He's really? A, evil, more or less evil. You know? She's apologized since then, but the point is that uh, attitude remains, which is that we're going to go into more of protest mode and talk about how bad they
2: are, but we're necessarily not going to try to become them. Right. Or deal with the structures that, that yeah. exist within.
3: Right. You. Interesting. Well, So even though the offices as a consulting firm was pretty short-lived, I think it was in existence for about six months or so, Uh, this entity called Ocean Earth Development Corporation emerged out of that.
0: Well, what happened is very simple. Um, uh, The offices pretty much collapsed uh, as soon as it did its one big show in L.A. with David and Miko in that there was a great deal of fighting going on. And there was also... um, and the lingering problem, uh, which I guess you could say, assign to me, where I said, "Well, if all the communication is going through Jenny, then we're really—it's not a company. You know—the uh, fact is that she has a logistical control. It's a monarchy." Well, I don't want to say that. i just say we had to obviously incorporate and have a post office box and have a telephone and have a, I guess, secretary. But you have to create a company structure. Otherwise, it's just her. Right. And uh, that was only because nobody had any money. And she had enough money to, to say, have a hotel room. And then Peter Naden was her boyfriend at the time. So they were there together. And so then it has this very strange condition of Robin Winters with Colleen Fisgibbon, who were then fighting each other uh, physically and basically broke up the relation. It was quite a bitter situation and then you had a a situation of Peter and Jenny getting into some kind of tension because he would have his name on the floor here but then she would not and then who's the author and uh, art world rivalry, jealousy and and so it just began to collapse of its own um, weight of competing egos and no structure, no independent structure. And so when richard prince would say that i uh, had first of all it was bad because it was attacking jenny he seems like
2: a weird one to be involved well because in she
0: liked him and actually he made the only real contribution that anybody made he he helped change the name of, of uh, uh, 112 green street it became white columns at oh. his initiative so i mean it was he the marketeer with that idea through you line. through you
3: guys well yeah through our service yeah 112 green was one of your clients and it yeah. was the kind of rebranding of 112 green and you guys came up with the name white well columns. he came up
0: with it. i mean t- Richard Prince had that name in mind. So we, as a group, you might say, did that consulting, but it was he who had the name. Sure. And, well, uh, I guess the thing is that was... It's like Paul wrote yesterday. Was
2: like who? (laughs) In the Beatles or whatever. (laughs) Right, right.
0: I I think the point is that we did one service, but again, within the art world, and I think Robin Windows did a service also within the art world, but nobody was able to get outside of that. Right. Uh, Colleen and I, the reason why Robin and Colleen had fighting, you can ask Colleen, but... Uh, uh, was that uh, Colleen uh, and I were going off a lot to a lot of places like engineering companies and so on, and they were liking what I was doing because I was doing this kind of stuff with uh, new technologies yeah. and new buildings and new structures, and and that was all what I thought we could sell. The problem is that nobody else had that idea in mind. And I think that's actually part of the reason why Peter Naden didn't really want to get involved in ocean nurseries later on, is it because uh, it's just Peter Fenns thing. Now. Um, Let's just say that we did not have a cohesive aesthetic or material program we had very different practices. Mm-hmm. Even when we tried to work together, for example, when Robin Windows wanted to attach his sculpture to my iron lung, and it was kind of funny, I said, "Yeah, why not?" And Richard Prince and I, go, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Were you guys see- all? Jenny, Jenny got very upset about that. So you know, we had this. Okay,
2: were you uh, showing as artists? Like at the time, like. Well, days? I think we all
0: had. Well, we. It's hard to say. Like, Richard and Robin both had dealers. Mm-hmm. Robin had Mary Boone, and Richard had uh, Robert Miller. I think. Uh, so they had people. Yeah. And um, they were in a market, and they actually had an obligation to serve that market. Right. They had to show up openings and make work and play the game. The whole the whole thing. And, and, and Jenny, uh, I, I don't know, she uh, was ready uh then with uh, Barbara Gladstone, but she did become to be that way. And, uh, uh, and uh, I, well, I found this to be uh, refreshing because I, didn't really want to be in the gallery system. I found the gallery system, well, I already seen what happened with the gallery system vis-a-vis um, Dennis Oppenheim, and mm-hmm. also, for that matter, vis-a-vis Gordon and Clark. And I said, this is not going to get anything done. Yeah. They don't want to get anything done. And um, I was, I had a very, I saw some pretty disastrous encounters of galleries vis-a-vis the real urges of artists. So I was anti-gallery.
1: What was your experience watching Dennis Oppenheim and... uh I mean, you can separate this, but Dennis Oppenheim and Gordon Matta-Clark, like, what what did you see actually happen?
0: Uh, The story is more or less tragic. I guess I'll put it that way. Uh, I'm sure I'm not going to be honored for saying it that way, but, uh, well, obviously Gordon died, but Mm -hmm. the thing is that um, they were very plainly blunted uh, by in Dennis's case, by the revolution in Iran, and then also by John Gibson, the alleged dealer, Um, and in Gordon's case, well, A, becoming ill, but I think also with that, uh, not being encouraged by Holly Solomon to really put together structure. And so uh, what could have been done before he died, uh, somebody never got around to it because there was too much preoccupation with him being an art star. And... um, I can say that because I know what he wanted to do, and I, I, what he showed me he wanted to do, and then the actual sources, like Richard Ricollet, the uh, architectural engineer, and he had uh, a series of plans, but these were always pushed aside, because, well, let's just have, have a card game uh Holly Solomon, and let's just a, a next, uh, client who would buy some cute thing. And we have the ongoing, as you know, phenomenon of people like Davis Werner and, of course, uh, Gordon's widow, um, arranging for the sale of various uh, relics and artifacts, but there's not what he intended to do at all. So it's just that there is this delaying of a, a real intention as stated, also by Walter Demerian and, and Michael Heiser when they were wor- working together, mm-hmm. which is being d- uh, deflected by the uh, or the dealers or um well, in the case of Dennis, uh, the collapse of the U.S. relation with Iran, but and always being pushed aside or postponed, and finally doesn't happen.
2: Because you're saying in some ways the initial intent like was political. Was well, I would not
0: say political; it, it was to build things. Yeah. The initial intent was to make things be built.
2: Well, by your conception, right of architecture, doesn't that bring it kind of into the realm of political? Well, not necessarily.
0: I would say. I mean, uh, uh, let's be broad. Um, if you build an earthwork for a country, that actually helps to restore the prior Gulf, uh, that was a, a healthy ecosystem, um, that is pretty much like selling them a 707 airplane. I mean, you're just providing technology that helps them function better. There's no political content.
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: it has a political client. Right. Yeah, with it's land. But it's not a political subject or thesis. Um, there's some analysis about how economies work, and but it's not that we have an ideology that we're working with. No, that makes sense.
1: How do you define the political
0: Well, political um, comes from the word polis, meaning city, and the architect does serve the city, Mm -hmm. and the city will have clean air or clean water, and you will get into political questions, especially nowadays, because, for example, most of our fuel is fossil fuel and that does damage the air so if you're going to try to clean the air you're going to be tangling with the fossil fuel industry and in turn with the com- countries that provide that so yeah you uh, are going to get involved in political issues because they're big issues right but you're not doing so with an ideology you're just doing it actually with technology that's derived from art That's to say if dennis did a project in 68 uh sponsored by the museum of modern art mm-hmm. uh, in the ocean indicating that yes you can make flame from seaweed uh, and this is a good idea that coincides with a very similar attempt by Caltech scientists or French scientists who are doing the same kind of thing. And so I say this as iconographic value. And we can go ahead with that. Now, it's only political because we have a very large structure set in place by World War One and Two called the global oil industry that will make sure that doesn't happen. Right. But otherwise, it's just technical. <laughs>
3: It seems like a lot of artists in the 70s, yourself included, were thinking about how art can um, have practical application and were trying in different ways to go outside of that frame and came up against certain limitations. So well, I, I
0: appreciate your question in this sense. Uh, uh, that was a very tangled uh, aspiration, that is to say. Yes, they were talking about practical applications, and yes, there was so-called revolutionary talk, and certainly people like Lucille would championed that in book after book, but there was always this backpedaling and always this, well, of course, I'm just going to make a gesture. Uh, it's just going to be kind of a, a, a something to contemplate and always a refusal to do anything truly practical because if you do something truly practical, you are somehow not cool. Uh, that was a serious problem I had uh, with Dennis. Uh, for example, he would always uh, see this possibility and then say it's really great and it's genius. And but then, well, you, you can't really do something real. You, you, well, shucks, I'm just an artist, and he would kind of play down his possible importance and just point out because he understood you cannot deal with art collectors or museums uh, by uh, having the bravado to suggest that something might work and might actually change the world now you have to pretend it's all just a gesture and this is comment and
2: well also they like wouldn't be the natural clients for that
0: kind of research right like well yeah but I mean the point is they're stuck yeah now when the Iranian military uh, okay the story about Dennis just to backtrack for a second actually well I'll give you two stories to answer your point Um, Maya Hoffman big-time art collector wanted dentists to do earthworks on her property in southern France. Mm -hmm. Vast property. And they would have to function. So that was a practical question. She was also a member of the uh, Ligue Internationale de Oiseaux. She was into bird migration and bird habits. And
2: What is that? That, what that is? means
0: a bird society. Ah, okay. She was into, say, the birds and ecosystems. So she looked for a practical possibility. And she was extremely disappointed when, in the presence of Willoughby Sharp and Dennis Oppenheim, uh, and and um, uh, uh, the dealer John Gibson uh, with Dennis Hoffmeyer. And I saw it, I saw the, the whole meeting. and It just went down. Well, we're, we're not going to do anything like that. That's just too much work. Oh no, we'll just have the models and the lawn, the Quinzhallen Basel, basta. And right. let's not <laughs> get messy around The models the are
2: actually more valuable than the thing itself.
0: Well, they are in the art world mind, maybe, yeah. but certainly not the whole aspiration was to make this really happen. Right. And I saw Dennis really being extremely angry because he wanted to be alongside Smithson and Heitzer and Debraeus doing something real. He never did anything real on the ground. Yeah. And he wanted to. And he had great models for that. That was one episode mm-hmm. where the art was, didn't want to bother, we don't care. And the other episode was, yeah, he was going to have, uh, they would send all the models to, to Tehran, the Tehran Museum of Contemporary Art, sponsored by Farah, the Empress Farah, uh, together with the Iranian military, because the Shah had power, was going to build works in and around Persepolis to actually be functional next to the UN Environmental Park. And it was going to be real functioning earthworks that might actually help restore things. Now, um,
3: So you're saying that the earthworks, they're not just functioning as artworks, but that they would have a practical application with land remediation, but that was, like, yeah, ecological Yeah, they, they would somehow
0: function. function because you can't have a thing sit there for uh, eons and not function. It has this, and they're not going to have the military do all this work for nothing.
3: <laughs> so it seems like with Ocean Earth, you were kind of taking that line of thinking further.
0: Well, yeah, that's what now. See, that's what Matt and Clark. Just getting back to the people. Uh, there are actually three people who are in my immediate circle of, uh, of association. There was Paul Sheritz, Matt and Clark, and Dennis. Now, of course, Matt and Clark died, but Matt and Clark had very clear functional aspirations. And the main reason they have not come to pass uh, is not only that he died, and then there's been this whole archiving and selling of the uh, relics, so to speak, which isn't what he wanted. Right. But also, we haven't really go into that too much detail, because I'm sure other people do, do like that. But the other very serious problem is that um, the person that he most adored and wanted me to work with him, uh, I think also Ger- Jerry Hovig and so on, uh, on making happen, was an engineer named Richard LeRicullet, uh who was then teaching at Penn. But Richard died also in 78, because he was a man. Uh, the point being that also his family has decided to put a freeze on all of his intellectual property. There is no publication allowed, no release of information allowed. It is frozen now for, for now 40 years, or almost 40 years, uh, that they think that he is more important than, than Bucky Fuller. Well, okay, I'm willing to say that too. And therefore, we should keep it um, out of public hands until we figure out how to make a lot of money with it. And so, we have no access to what Matt Clark was trying to do. Just because it was a very selfish family. Wow.
1: Hmm.
0: And that I've learned at Penn. And they just told me that you can't do anything here, we we'll do this thing. But actually, you can't have not allowed because they decided to put a lid on that. Contribution to structural thinking
2: seems it, like they may have missed the year at which like that that research is probably most valuable how do you mean? I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you think it's just gonna accrue in value further and in, in time? It seems like probably a well the
0: real danger is we could all drop dead before that happens because I think we have a serious planetary problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly you know, like we're people s- that we have 60 harvests left I mean if you don't start to apply these ideas or any of these ideas, we might just drop dead and perish right, America. right
2: I mean, it'd be like if I if I said I had a, one of Leonardo's ideas that had never been released. Like, how much would you buy that for? Right. Well, I think
0: <laughs> we have. Uh, uh, this is exactly why I'm saying that the whole Donald Trump phenomenon. That this is a serious reversion, mm-hmm. going back to petroleum, going back to nuclear. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, forget about all these renewable things. Uh, and they're, they're not made here. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think the point is that the, the, this 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 uh, loss of uh, leadership and this re- refusal to even deal with the serious problems in front of us. Um, I think results from uh, the avant-garde, I mean, by that, Matt Clark, Oppenheim, Sheriffs, whatever. Um, uh, and Michael Heiser, sorry, but you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Um,
3: I think he's working ha- on it.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's too late now. But anyway, uh, I think that they all have chickened out. And they all have decided to. Oh, well, was just art. I would just have a show with Gagosian and whatever. And they've not gone ahead. And actually, Chris Burden made a whole rant about this. Right. If you saw the show, but he had a rant about this in French. I don't know why he used French, but he <laughs> to to say that <laughs> we didn't do anything. Dead. Nothing happened. I mean, and there's a there's an MIT architecture grad. I'm told by Amy Plum, Dennis's widow, uh, who is uh, investigating. How is it that all this energy from the late '70s. All these ideas of Matt Clark, Heiser, Oppenheim, whatever, even Klaus Odenberg, uh, Carol Ishenimon, uh, Mary Beth Edelson—how did all this not come to pass at all? Yeah. In any way, shape, or form.
2: Uh,
1: well, Sherrods has got very sick, and then more than that.
2: I mean. But you're saying even that, like that, like the, like they feel like a he got shot.
1: <laughs> that as well, yes.
2: Well, you're saying like they feel like it's like a dead end, not or like it's a, a path in our history that like doesn't even have the energy now that it did in the set. Like it seemed like that was a very fertile space. like.
0: Right. And I think that the, I don't if think if you saw the Alana Heiss 40 show, but that was a clear indication of, I would say, failure of the entire endeavor.
3: But I think more than I it seems like you're not even talking art historically, but you're saying the, there was the potential there for these ideas to have consequence, outside of art history even, and that that trajectory was halted and failed.
0: Everybody knew that there was going to be something that could happen. And that was certainly in the air and I think uh, widely recognized. I to say everybody knew, um, I mean Dennis Oppenheim certainly knew, that if you were to build these things in Iran with the military, uh, they could really portend another way of using land and using marshes and so on. I mean, he had bird—he had a whole thing about migratory birds and the whole thing about uh, marshes and the whole thing about uh, restoring animal uh, uh, kind of feeding cycles. And um, But, at the same time, he's afraid of appearing too enthusiastic. He would rather just maintain the stand back a bit. And, okay, after Gibson had rejected the thing with Maya Hoffman, he was furious. I was in the car with him. He was furious. He was ready to run people down. He was completely angry about how he had been denied uh, any kind of power. It wasn't that he was trying to change the world. He just was not allowed to do anything but make a model. Show the model in a museum. I'm trying, to actually, I'm trying to actually get on the same page as Smithson. I can't. okay? Uh-huh. And then um, I think that explains because right, you've been curious about this whole time. Uh, why Chris D'Arcangelo, who had other ideas about practicality and functionality, and as we, the offices, talked about that, and certainly Peter Needon had these ideas, how we all were, if you will, um, well discouraged.
2: Say say a little bit about who Chris D'Arcangelo is. Well, I think
0: uh, she, Leah knows more about that than than I do. I never met him. Well, I might have. I guess I met him, but I was very busy just getting on, get getting something made for Peter's. Gallery, yeah, and I might oh yeah, disappear. Christopher so Grandchild would, you talk a bit high, but um, I wasn't party to his work with apparently for Daniel Buren, and their friendship with I guess because at the same time with Louise Lawler, and um, I only know that they were talking a great deal about art being um, functional. But you know more about that.
3: Yeah, well, so in I think in the mid to late seventies. Um, Chris D'Arcangelo, who was an artist, and Peter Naden, also an artist, who ended up collaborating with Peter and Jenny and others on the offices. Did he? Um, Peter no. Naden?
0: No, Peter did, but not. Not,
3: not, right. not Chris. No, sorry. To be clear, so Peter Naden, a collaborator with the offices, right. uh, And Chris D'Arcangelo, another artist, friends with Peter. Um, they were doing this sort of ongoing project called um, Functional Constructions, and. What it was, it was a sort of flexible group um, where they, it was mostly them sometimes in collaboration with other friends, they would take on construction jobs, um, mostly sort of um, renovations or in galleries doing sort of fabrication work. Um, For example, I think that at PS1 in the auditorium, that thin perimeter around the auditorium, that's kind of like a hallway of exhibition space, I think that they built that. Um they definitely did a project at p s one where they built out walls in that space and i'm I think those might still be there now. so they would take on these construction jobs um, and as artists but also as workers and that was the idea of it it was they were both doing um, sort of manual labor and they were making artworks um, and I think You know, that makes sense kind of in the trajectory of conceptual art and thinking about the Art Workers Coalition and labor and how artists were thinking about their work at that time. And so they would write up these contracts. Um, It was this kind of um, pre-formulated contract that they had that would say, you know, uh, we've joined together to create functional constructions. And then they would have the client's name. The client was the kind of commissioner or the patron of the work. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way the contract laid it out, it really was explicitly both manual labor and an artwork. And after they finished the construction work, they would have um, a brief opening. So it would be open on view for maybe one night or something like that as a work of art. And then it would sort of um, just become you know, what it was in the space, which was a functional construction. Um, And, for example, they um, soundproofed Louise Lawler's ceiling in her loft. They added uh, sort of another layer of soundproofing, and that was one of the functional constructions. They also did some stuff at um, 420 West Broadway, which was where Leo Castelli Gallery and John Weber Gallery were. And Chris sometimes worked for John Weber. So anyhow, um, Hmm. the way it relates to all of this is that... They did. Um, oh, and I guess another important thing is that the title of the work would be the amount of time that it took them to make it. So it would be, you know, seven days work or 30 days work. Um, and that last one, 30 days work, was actually the name of a piece that they made in Peter Naden's loft, which I think was also on West Broadway. Um, anyways, in any case, it was in downtown Manhattan and they built out a gallery space inside of his loft where he lived um, as well, and so it was kind of, um, it it created a division between a bedroom and an exhibition space. And uh, in late 1979, they started this, I don't even it's hard to know what to call it in a way it was a series of exhibitions or in a way it was like one exhibition that happened in stages over time um and the first work was called 30 days work and it was one of these functional constructions and it was basically just this room empty um and on view for 30 days and people could go there uh you probably like by appointment or as apartment shows kind of are um and Uh, But after that first 30 days, they invited one person um, at a time to sort of do something in that space. And at that time, I mean, the invitation, and I don't know if this was the title of the show, but the invitation said um, something like, the work shown in this space is a response to the existing conditions and or the work previously shown in this space. Um, So sometimes the show is referred to as that. But I mean, the, the title kind of explains the premise, which was that someone would do something in the space and it wouldn't be emptied after, but it would be on view for say, I don't know, a few weeks or something or a month, and then someone else would do something after. Um, And so some of the artists who did that were, um, Danielle Buren I think did the first one, Peter um, put an iron lung in the space. Um, and, uh, an artist named Jane, Jane Reynolds, um, installed peepholes in the space that sort of, um, joined the exhibition space and the bedroom, the office and the exhibition space, the bathroom, the exhibition space, and the, um, the peepholes kind of uh, operated in different directions. So it would be either you could like look out of the office into the gallery space, but you could look from the gallery space into the bedroom and so forth. and, um, and so, you know, a few different, uh, I mean, uh, several, I think maybe like Sean five. Sean Scully.
0: Sean Scully did some. Sean
3: Scott Scully made a painting. And so everything kind of he made
0: got, in The whole room. Huh. You know, mm-hmm. he made she seems in the, like a weird. Yeah, stripes <laughs> in the whole room. He knew Peter from um, art school,
3: oh, okay. the same school. And so when Jane I, put in her peepholes, she <laughs> cut holes in Sean's painting. I was
2: like, which of these does not fit? <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, the none, of, none of them. She really, just cuts none, none of them, like, really,
0: <laughs> I would, I, I, given what you just said, I would say that none of the, pieces fit, and not to be objecting, but for example, the Iron Lung, um, if it, I, I, I titled it a room um, defined not by its walls, but by a pump, and it was there in the room, uh, and it was a very clear presence. But for example, Peter was very disapproving of, uh, of any attempt to be in it, so you see, it couldn't be in the Iron Lung, you could only just look at it, well, which one is the sculpture my categories. It's not, a pain. it's not an architecture practice, it's right. a sculpture practice. I look at the iron lung, okay, and I see it in the room, but I can't uh, experience the iron lung in any way, so therefore I don't really uh, I, it doesn't modify the room meaningfully. Uh, and, and then it was taken away. It was only used for oh, maybe a week. And it had no functionality at all. Um, and I think here in Hawaii, so if I might opine, and I hope Peter doesn't take great offense, but I I see the contradiction. Uh, The iron lung has a function. It allows you to, for example, um, sleep without having to breathe. I mean, you you can sleep much more deeply. I found this out, personally. Uh, Another person tried it out. Yeah, you you will get excited, so to speak, and find it pleasant. Uh, I'm not trying to say it's a great function. It might be a bad function, but it, it does do something, and you can experience it. Now, if you don't experience it, it cannot be a functional construction. Uh, so there was a contradiction between on one hand having art. I mean, Charles Scully's uh, lines in the room, around the entire room, were just a giant bee inside a Charles Scully painting. I mean, okay, but is it functional? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it's fun. Uh, you know, Daniel Buren's, uh, he did little stripes, uh, as he always did, uh, but uh, as, a, sure. as, a, as a um
3: Around the perimeter. There's
0: a kind of freeze at, at the top, at, at nearly, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but again, it was, it was a kind of decoration, and he's done that elsewhere, okay? But none of them were functional.
3: Well, I was interested to find out that actually one of the last installments of it where some people came and started living in the space. <laughs>
0: oh, really? Who were they?
3: I can't remember their names, but Peter was te- uh, Peter Naden was telling me about this. Well, right. They sort of moved in as an installation and were living with all of the well, that's other works. What happened
0: to me? He didn't, he didn't, uh, I'm not aware of that. But I, mean, I think
3: it was the second to last one. Uh, I think it was called a place to say slash something else.
0: Um, I guess I may recall that, but I also recall that being in some sense a. Um, how do I say convenience I mean the fact it's like Airbnb I mean you have some friends they need a place to stay they can stay in the room it's a nice room (laughs) but it wasn't getting it wasn't functioning other than just being real estate available right um and
2: or that makes like the the developer the artist in that or whoever like designed the the room
0: well the room had artworks in it so to speak uh by Buren by Scully by Jane Reynolds um It had had an art piece by me, but that was taken away. Uh, But at no point was anything functional, Uh, it was basically interior decoration. Um, And Well, Chris D'Arcangelo committed suicide, so I guess he was frustrated. I mean, I would say that if a person, whether it's uh, Mike Kelly or Chris D'Arcangelo or Paul Sherrits, is committing suicide which is what Paul did um they are somehow frustrated or feel unfulfilled or well they obviously don't aren't happy with what's going on
1: it's our side note you think Paul Sherrod's committed suicide
0: that's what Jeremy said I don't by the way want to make that I am not sure we want to put that on record because people want to be oh, okay we can cut it. this out yeah I think the point is that Paul um
2: he was got fired un- was unfulfilled. he got
0: fired he lost his job he had no money. He had no way of staying alive, really. He had no, he was out of retirement age, couldn't get any uh, Social Security, and he was in a very desperate situation. And because my work, uh, all my pad, address books and everything had been uh, seized by the uh, French authorities, I lost track of him. If I had known his predicament, I would have said, hey, we got work in Europe. But I didn't, and we were working a book about all that work. And then Peter Weibel, who was Paul's friend, informing Paul had died, but uh, well, yeah, because I had not been able to say, hey Paul, we got a thing going on here in Austria and we can do that, so he, he had always said he would work with us as soon as he didn't have to be at the university, and then as soon as he lost his position at the university, there was, for about six months, no contact, mm. and we were not in the age of internet, so then he, as far as I understand, um, and this is said in some, I think, film now, Uh, He he basically informed his colleagues that he would uh, take a a last trip so to speak and he went into his house and never came out.
1: Do you want us to cut that out?
0: I don't know. We'll talk about that. I think the point is that um, what made me very upset and I cried for uh, solid for three days is that my mishap with the French authorities where they they want to get information and get your address book, you can you back your passport, you don't get your address book back. I lost contact. I didn't pursue the contact, and I had the opportunity. I didn't pursue it. This stupid fluke meant the communication broke down. So what could have been done? He put a lot of money into us, and could and he was waiting for a reward. He was staying in my loft and all that kind of stuff. Didn't happen, and then he got discouraged. And the art world is a very dangerous place because I've certainly been on the edge of dying, basically, you know. He's been on the edge of, how do I live? Yeah. And um, you see this again and again. And that's exactly why, because of that danger, people like Oppenheim would go, well, gee, I guess we won't really make that commitment. We'll just kind of withdraw and just kind of make the collectors happy and do the public art piece, and we're not going to rock the boat anymore. And so, yeah, Paul uh, uh, became, um, as was stated in this film, and I can say that for the record, um... Uh, said he would make a trip of some sort and, and then essentially didn't come out of the house for a while. Okay. Yeah. And I think we don't... And I think also with Chris, if you see no functional construction really happening, the split between the art world's demand for art and the possibilities of architecture not being somehow resolved then I don't know exactly what happened with his life, and, um, but you might just say, "Fuck it," you know. I, I don't care. I, I give up. And I, I think, I mean, everybody has their life and their death, but to choose to die um, means that you feel that there is a failure of some sort, and there was a failure. And I think just it, actually in our conversation, we see that that it, it has been extremely difficult to go from art mode to architectural mode, or from from um, aesthetic mode to practical mode. And it was actually also the case for the offices. I mean, that bridge is a very difficult bridge because of the, all the prohibitions on practicality.
3: Mm-hmm. Do you think that Ocean Earth uh, traversed that gap?
0: Sure, you know, we really did traverse a gap, but uh, that's very hard to impose on anybody. And I must say, uh, uh, we traversed it, but we've also been sh- uh, shut down and had plenty, plenty of pushback.
3: Do you maybe want to explain a little bit uh, how o- Ocean Earth formed and, and what you Well,
0: it, it formed really out of the it, offices. Right? So they're a very simple point. Um, Richard Cole, a lawyer, a friend of mine from grade school, uh, was working in Wall Street. Um, not very happily, but okay. He's a lawyer. He went to Harvard Law School. He knows what he's doing, I guess. He, he saw that I was showing with Peter Naden. He saw the name okay. So he found out about the offices. He went to a meeting and said and he met all the people. He said, you're any more was fellow I was calling Fitzgibbon, but that's another story. And he, out of that kind of desire, hey, I'd really like to be in the art world not be a lawyer here, he um, said he would uh, set up a legal form of us. And Jenny jumped on it, and I jumped on it. Uh, but Jenny and her meetings with him, I mean, and you can ask her, but essentially uh, she wanted to have a non-profit entity. Uh, but he said uh, and he wanted I said I want to have a for-profit entity because I want to do business uh, You're gonna make things you're gonna make things not to this kind of sponsorship sure. uh, And um, I guess because I'm kind of a more legalistic mind you might say and I just felt you had to have a, a for-profit company Anyway, uh, uh, so I cast about and did the paperwork and he helped me out on that and we filed the papers and Uh, We had a choice of names and the name we first chose was not allowed because somebody else had it ecological development corporation And it was really just a follow-up is directly on Michael Heist and Walter DeMarie's idea of a construction company to build this up And then we had it come out as Ocean Earth Construction and Development Corporation
2: Which ended up being a profit or a non-profit? It wasn't going to be a for-profit company, such as
0: New York State Corporation in the domain of uh, architectural components and uh, media services why? Because you cannot say you're an architecture firm because that's not legal. You have to be an architect to, to do that. Right. And we we're just artists. Great. And it was going to be somehow fulfilling ideas of Dennis Oppenheim and Walt and Gordon Matta Clark and all that, and also the stated objectives of High and De Maria. Uh, and it was getting more concrete. Uh, and I had thought that Peter Naden would want to do this, but he did not.
2: Where was like Jenny at that period? Jenny. Like, uh,
0: here's a point. Yeah. Jenny wanted to go for non-profit
2: right.
0: and she went to the law firm and met with him and so on and she was quite insistent on wearing sandals and being kind of a cash artist which I sure. did not that, that you don't go to a wall, wall street law firm dressed like that you're not an artist anymore it would be kind of normal
2: well you do if you want a non-profit <laughs> I mean so she already put herself quite
0: recognizably I'm the artist and I'm hip and cool and I'm gonna do a non-profit thing and well, they just turned her down. After a while, they, we we can't have people working pro bono or whatever to help you play as a nonprofit because that would just persist in the normal art routine. And so, what was left was Ocean Earth, and then Jenny said, uh, "I'd like to be involved in Ocean Earth, and uh, I'd like to be media director." And everybody else who was already involved in paying money, including Jonathan Querry, including Paul Sheretz, Paul Sheretz put up six hundred bucks. Wow. Uh yeah, I mean real investment. Yeah. Great for the 300 bucks, okay? And um
3: and this was 1980, right?
0: Eighty eighty one. that kind of. These are 80s bucks. Well, I mean a lot of money <laughs> yeah. for anybody, okay? Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> And um, and for Carrera is also a question because this was maybe a breach of his role as critic. I mean, I'm, I'm putting money into a company. But you can't be investing in for-profit
2: companies.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. And anyway, <laughs> so that had all a happened. Time. And, <laughs> yeah. and that was all laid out, and and then uh, Jenny um, said she wants to be media director, and Joan Walterman, who had gone to RISD, and Eve Ardelos said, <laughs> "Forget it. We're not going to have her be media director because then where are we?" So that was a very emphatic rejection because right. they're also tied with that Taro Suzuki and Wolfgang Steil and other people who are investing. Sorry, Jenny, uh, we can't do that. At which point, um, and I think, I think she somehow bought three shares. I think that's where we stand. Yeah, It's a stakeholding.
3: <laughs> so you guys went to DC together and met with NASA, right?
0: No, well, that, that, that's the thing. As Ocean Earth was beginning to happen. Uh, the point is that, okay, Colleen and I and Paul Sherritt sat down in Magoo's and said, well, how do we proceed? Well, we need to get access to a site, and to do that, we really need to get information. And so let's work with satellite data and get information so we can get access to a site. Um, and we felt that this would be easier, because, I mean, getting into real estate is one thing. Getting into an image of real estate is quite uh, faster. Yeah. And with that, we decided to go into the satellite work. Uh, then, uh, Matthew Geller from Collab told me there was a slot open at the kitchen uh, to compete for, and I competed with the idea of a show called Art of the State, which made satellite imaging by us, the company. And Howard Halley, who was then the curator, uh, said, well, basically we won the competition. And uh, we worked very, very hard for, from November till January. Uh, to set this up. And uh, immediately got into a very, very exciting field. um, Satellite imaging, because you saw a lot of stuff. Now- um, So
3: just to clarify, at that time, NASA imagery was public information, so you guys could gain access to it. Well, I think at that
0: time, nobody, uh, there was, first of all, a law that made everything available. It was called blue Blue Skies Law, and the Blue Skies, Open Skies, Open Skies Law. And um the whole idea that we're going to live in a new paradise of everybody getting to see everything sure
3: we <laughs> right. yeah. see yeah. yeah. how that turned out. <laughs> you mean today? Yeah.
0: We're not. It's not the case at all today. I can it you. It is the case, but it's like not paradise.
3: I said it is the case, but it's not paradise.
0: Well, we there was this hope. I mean, I, I just I'll say. Maybe just pushing forward for a couple of years. I did uh, Was paid by U.S. Congress to make a report about what we did, and it was commissioned uh, for the Office of Technology Assessment of the U.S. Congress. Really? Yeah. How right. much
2: did they pay you for that? Well, nothing—it's
0: a thousand bucks. But yeah, the thing is, that that's was, a lot for Congress. Well, it was. The point being, I would tell our story. Yeah. Very unique. Okay, and our story was that um, the laws not being observed, the laws being denied and we've done this and that, but we have all the secret police chasing after us.
2: Because you wanted access to the satellite in the Well, we buy the
0: satellite data for NBC or CBS or ABC, and uh, just, well, I'm sorry we're going too far forward maybe, but essentially what would happen, and I never expected it, okay, is that every time we did a survey, what we saw and what was in the New York Times were the opposite. So, in other words, you're always being lied to.
2: Wait, so say so I'm looking in the New York Times I'm seeing like uh, in the 80s I'm seeing like a map of like I don't know like uh, Virginia or something or no or my
0: point is that if you have a hot news story like here's something happening in the Iran-Iraq war what you were reading in the paper about Iraq doing this or Iran doing that would be completely belied by the satellite image
2: I see it yeah, yeah so
0: okay. what we would see and what would be said in the paper are totally opposite
2: yeah,
0: yeah I thinking in terms of SAT type questions yeah uh, what is the topic sentence of this paragraph and the conclusion you draw from the New York Times report is the opposite of what we see with the satellite. What would happen with, say, NBC or, or any TV company as a client, David Martin, CBS, is he would say, well, I have to talk to the Pentagon about this. And they said, well, put this in this graphic into that, into that satellite material prepared by ocean Earth. And by the time you're done with the graphic alteration, the point is missed. Huh? That's why, in the midst of that, I said, uh, dear UN, we have stuff that maybe you can use for peacekeeping because you certainly can't get it published.
2: So, so part of like, was just to provide was actually like to license this imagery to like media companies like to use No, we're not licensed.
0: We were just the point was we were making pictures. Yeah, and pictures were truthful. Yeah, but even today if I talk about that say with the Whitney Museum, they say it's too sensitive we, can, no, no, not possible. we can't really That uh, would ask any we'd rather have dreamlands than have truth They're interesting
2: they're, they're nervous about them. Um,
0: you can't have that. the truth. Truth is too scary.
1: Well, they did have Laura Poitras.
0: Yes, talking, basically complaining about the inability to get truth. But not the truth truth. Like, what's really happening in the Persian Gulf? What really happened to Chernobyl? What really happens to Russian missile bases, submarine bases, Nicaragua Honduras border? Right. Can't see that. Right, right. Because those the argument made by every government has been that not only can we not let the people see this because it would then uh, allow as they say chaos to happen or whatever that means but also we cannot let the enemy know what we know so we can't release the truth to the public because the enemy will see what we know so therefore we have to keep the public stupid What? I say this, for example, uh, take De Maria Lightningfield. Field. Uh, mm-hmm. He told me that he, a scientist had approached him, mm-hmm. and then a scientist told me she wanted to do this kind of testing. She knew nothing about De Maria. It's a lingering question. Will Lightningfield Field work?
1: Work now, for what, though? Indeed, it did.
0: As an ecosystem improver, so to speak. Now, the thing is that his staff was talking... Wait, about I'm sorry, that. as a what? Something makes the immunological systems in the ecosystem better, and makes makes for better plants and animals in the ecosystem. Oh, and something we know about ocean sites. if you go by the ocean, you have more healthy ecosystems. If you go to Venice in the lagoon, uh, if you're near the power lines, uh, the plants
2: and the fish are uh, better quality. Right. Anyway, um, do you want to read the people on that list? Just fair.
0: Well, are we on mic now, we are okay. I, I think the point is that as of the time I was Leah Perez's age, 28. <laughs> um, I was aware uh, that Dean Maria had been approached by scientists who were very curious about how this could be used for, uh, his lightning field could be used practically to improve ecological systems and to create more hierarchy of uh, speciation. And uh, a scientist approached me on the same question. Her initiative, she was from Italy, about the what we can see in, in the Venice Lagoon that near the power lines the fish and plants are clearly more healthy. So there is something about electrical fields and life strength. Okay. So why not test that? Now I, I'm also. Uh, Aware that uh, Dennis certainly wanted to have his things built in Iran or in southern France. And I'm aware that uh, Robertson kind of toyed with that. But then there was, uh, well, the Harrisons obviously were trying to make things practical or functional. And I know that Matt Clark wanted to do that. He wanted to build real buildings. And uh, Richard Serra and I have discussed now that I have a license to try to figure out making real architecture with his ideas. And real structures, real really? systems. Yeah, we've wait, got, wait, wait, like, wait. Richard, Sarah, elaborate somewhere. on that. Like, what? well, my point is, I've given him some ideas about what you could do with his thinking. That would be like a billion. And then he initially like, said he would sue me, but then after that, he he came around and said, I actually, I had an opening. Said, I actually, I that's fine. Go ahead because we have to maintain trajectory. Uh-huh. I think that they realized <laughs> after some time. Being an artist that, well, is more or less futile with being an artist because all you're just doing is, is kind of jerking off. I mean, all you're doing is just masturbating your own ideas again and again. There's no fertile connection with the world. There's right. no continuation or uh, further development. It just stops at that thing. And that, that was actually already stated quite nicely by Vito Conchi. And Vito Conchi, if you see his public art piece in, in San Francisco, yeah, he is going downhill. He is not progressing. He could progress. But he can't.
2: Not allowed. Which is ironic, because he actually did move into making architectural plans. Well, he has, has
0: done so, but it's still within the art frame. It's right. still stuck.
2: Yeah. And the thing is that um, the applicability of ideas. Now,
0: Oldenburg had an idea uh, basically using stretch fabric as a structure um, uh, for buildings and for win- now I've worked on this wind for windscreens uh, and uh, I've worked on that with the e incidentally and it gets into sensitive areas because it has to do with basic girdles and Underwear, you might say, but how do we build these structures around buildings that are like underwear? Right. Well, that's an outward fantasy. We could actually test it and work with it. And um, Richard Ricolet, of course, is is well-known engineer, but is stopped by his family. He can't have any more access to that at all. Amazing. That's Why good. isn't there a real furor about this saying, no, no, you can't do that. We'll give you, find somebody, give them $5 billion or whatever It makes them happy. Right. And then get a hold of this intellectual property. It's the fruit of the twentieth century, for God's sake.
2: It is very frustrating.
0: And so you have stoppage all over the place. Often I'm stopped. De Maria stopped. Heiser's well, his wife basically stopped that. And then you have this pathetic show De and Gallagher. I put it on record. I mean it was nothing like what Heiser and De Maria were talking about before. Yeah. Because with Heiser, this to give a very concrete example. Yeah. Now I turn it over to Leo. If you were to build I've been to the double negative, okay? If you're to build the same thing, in a site in Jordan where the, the Wadi Sirhan descends towards the Dead Sea but is stopped from reaching the Dead Sea by a ridge caused by te- tectonic events and would break that with a double negative, then the Dead Sea would have a massively larger volume of water in it and would be completely changed as an ecosystem and its deterioration would end. So, you simply take the same piece that Heitzer did and put it into another location. Now, if I were to say that to a collector of art, as I have, he'll say, God forbid that would ever happen, because we want the <laughs> one art piece by the artist. No possible devaluation due to reproducing that work. Right. God forbid anybody ever do whatever it is twice. And of course, I failed to make a rejoinder God ever, God forbid anybody ever build a Temple of Delphi twice. <laughs> Come on, do it again and again and again, Yeah, as was aspired
2: to by De Maria and Heitzer, but they were crushed by Dia into inaction. Right, this is another like narrative that I feel like a lot of, I mean, we can either get a record or not, but the like, anti-Dia, narr- elaborate on, on that history. Well, I don't really heard. have knowledge
0: about Dia. I only yeah. know that it's certainly associated with the oil industry. And I think they're in, so, associated with the idea of status quo and they certainly like the idea of art. I don't think they're trying to be nefarious, I think they're just trying to have their own art. Right. And they don't want to have anything on the practical, because they want to run away from the practical. Right. Now, Leah has heard all this rap and we've also talked about Mary Beth Anderson. her dreams never happened, they could have happened. I can say that structural engineering can depend very much on what Carole Schneemann did with those rails and ideas, straddle structures, and balancing structures. And we also have, from the Russian constructivist period, Mitterich, we have, which Natalie and Jacob toured with a bit, but I mean, we can work a lot with things from constructivism, and things from these artists that I mentioned here, certainly Paul Sheritz, who wanted to work with us on satellite data and how to process that data. All of these practical outcomes from all that art could happen, or it could be tested, and even once or twice, whatever, just to see what, where's the beef. What's going on here? Maybe there's something going on that we can actually use. That is reasonable given what we know about arts function in society generally, certainly in cave times. And I've suggested Leah, who's curious about this area of functional constructions, that maybe she can dedicate her life
2: mm-hmm.
0: sorry, to this question, functional construction, <laughs> instead of becoming a professor of some art history, right. some university. And occasionally showing up in New York, <laughs> or instead of being within some institution, which would do everything it can to stop this initiative.
2: Right. Maybe we should say <laughs> a bit about what, what Leah's path is other other than previously, or what you know. What's your up to now?
3: I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, well,
0: <fair> anyway,
2: <laughs> okay, we'll talk about the question I did put to Leah.
3: Leah, Leah, Leah,
0: Leah, thank you. <laughs> I said, "How Canadian are you, <laughs> Leah? How Canadian are you? Uh, not very. And how Swiss are you? Not very. So, how? What is your nationality, or I mean?
3: Uh, I guess I have both a Swiss and a Canadian passport. And do
0: you have any sense of territory, or?
3: Uh, not particularly. No.
0: Now, the reason I was asking these questions is that uh, she is not a U.S. citizen. Okay. When I hear that the head of the European Union wants to have Greenland become part of Europe, I get immediately angry. Greenland? I see that they, the European Union was talking about having Greenland be put into the European frame.
1: And that made you angry?
0: Yeah, because that's our box. Our ice, our water, all the water coming to New York comes from Greenland. So if they mess around with Greenland, that's a reason for war. No, you can't have Greenland, sorry. That's wants to Wait, do. a
2: war with, with Europe?
0: Well, you can't have Greenland the way you want to do it now. Right. They're planning to mine uranium in Greenland. Oh, really? No, we don't want to have stormy uranium arriving here in New York City. Right. Okay. So you can't mine uranium. So I've offered to the government of, of, of New York City proposal that they pay Denmark $5 billion a year to have no mining for oil or uranium in
2: Greenland to save our water. Thank you. Draw out the, just for people who, who may not make the intuitive connection between New York water the and Labrador Greenland water. The, water.
0: the cold water rise here in New York comes from Greenland right. and Labrador. So uh, if it's damaged by, say, thorium-80, right. which, which would be released by Chinese-British uh, uh, uranium mining, uh, is not going to, should not be. Suffered by us. Right. And that is felt by me in my gut. My, my my hair gets on hand right away. How dare you do this? Now, so I am, uh, I'm sorry to say, a North American a guy who has a very strong sense of territoriality, because I have an artistic sense in my saying, who knows that that is a threat to me and to my kid. I had the Wait, same. Wait,
1: sorry. Th- uh, just. Uh, you associate artistic with territoriality? Sorry. Is that what you said?
0: I am. I have a territorial sense. Uh-huh. That means I'm aware of my surroundings. That's architectural. Uh, that is a um, also a military sense. Mm-hmm. I can feel the territory. I can sense it. And I can, if someone says, "Oh, we're going to have Greenland become uh, be mined," I, I immediately don't like it. If I was living in, as I'm, my ancestry is German, if I was living in Germany, I would have different ideas. But where I am positioned physically, I think about.
1: It. Okay, if it I'm seems in, yeah. unrelated to. You. Uh, art.
0: Why not? What what do you mean? It's all about territory. What what is Dennis Oppenheim doing with his piece on the St. John's River in uh, Maine? It's all about territory. I
3: I was kind of interested to talk about this map that you and or this uh, kind of diagram, poster that you and Jenny Holzer made in 1980. Um, I'll just read up the heading. So At the top it says, um, the present political and economic division of space does not satisfy our needs we work towards a reorganization of existing elements into more functional configurations. And then underneath that, there's a map of uh, North America, the continent. And there's, uh, in capital letters at the bottom, it says political economies after oil. And you've sort of redrawn the boundaries um, between the countries uh, in North America. So do you wanna just describe what's going on in this? Well, first of
0: all, what I'm drawing here um, which Tony Conrad said was, was fascistic. He said that was the most fascistic artist he ever met. <laughs> the funny thing is what I've drawn here was exactly what it was in 1763. That is to say, in 1763, there was a uh, decoration, uh, some kind of line, I forget, decoration line or proclamation line that made the Appalachian Mountain Ridge be the divide between the American colonies and anything west.
2: He said that you were fascistic because you were, like like, applying... Band, new boundaries to these other nations? Or? Yeah,
0: well, I think in his uh, age he became more bitter and also was quite ready because we were always friendly. Is he your age? No, he's been older. He's 75 when he died. Yeah. Um, okay. In his Sorry. slightly older age and having been growing up in World, during World War II he would just immediately ad- uh, assume that any change in borders is fascistic, right. aggressive, like Germany. Like we can't do it. Well, actually, this return returning to the old borders. Let's say you have the uh, Hudson's Bay, that was Hudson's Bay Company, that was uh, for 200 years an entity unto itself. You have Labrador, which of, has been an entity unto itself until 1948. You have Newfoundland, an entity unto, unto itself, and you have within the Labrador Current. The Northeast Seaboard was an entity defined in 1763. You have Canada defined as the St. Saint, Saint Lawrence River uh, watershed. And
3: so, sa- so, just for people who aren't looking at this map right now, what are the lines on the map designating? Map,
0: maps are defining water boundaries. And so
3: it's a reimagination of the continent of North America. According well, that to-
0: imagination is kind of nerdy. I'm just being kind of a little technocrat, as Martha Rosa would say, and say, well, this watershed it needs to be contiguous uh, to save the sea and to make sure we don't have this, more soil loss and we better manage resources. And everybody in the West Coast knows very well the problems of the Colorado River watershed or the, or the West Coast watersheds or the Columbia River watershed. This is actually standard, kind of boring, uh, thinking, I'm surprised that meanwhile quantum doesn't seem to include this because I've been doing it all my career, but anyway, I'm just saying the watersheds of North America could be a principle for organizing North America, not Canada uh, only, and the Canada, Mexico, and United States can work together towards this objective so as to make sure we don't have the loss of everything. Right. Uh, is now said that we're going to have about 60 harvests left, we're really running out of soil, running out of water, and we have to really start now thinking more in terms of our survival. Uh, and uh, the fact is, if you have uh, oil drilling or uranium drilling up here in Greenland, it will affect the Labrador Current, affect us. Mm-hmm. So we don't want that. Right. Uh, the fact is that uh, air pollution from East Asia is causing a significant increase in smog, and so on the West Coast, causing I believe the water problem and the drought problem is adding to the, pro- to the situation. Now Texas A and M University is investigating that. People say to me, well, Peter, you don't know. Well, Texas a and University is investigating that, and I think it's a reasonable supposition because we do have an increase in the pollution problem, and we certainly have a drought problem. So I think we have to look at that relationship. And uh, we also know very well that the Amazon deforestation is causing serious changes in the Caribbean with serious changes in weather patterns in the, North and the, uh, and the Great uh, Plains. Now... What is also funny about this is it coincides fairly closely with the electoral map that we just have had. That is to say, the west coast is blue, the northeast seaboard is blue, this whole area of the Gulf of Mexico Basin is more or less, except for Minnesota and so on, is red. Uh, So we can begin to encourage this practice. And in her country, called Canada, which exists only because we failed militarily in 1775 in our invasion of Montreal and Quebec, Otherwise, you would not be having a Canada at all. It was called Continental Congress and Continental Army. Uh-huh. It was continental
2: liberation from <coughs> British rule. A candidate forever, forever shames America with its previous failure.
1: Well, no, we failed. That's what I, failed. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: We could
0: have a restoration of the Hudson's Bay Company territory, Prince Rupert Land. So, so we can really manage that as, a, as an ecosystem instead of having the current absurdity of Saskatchewan, Alberta, Manitoba, which mean nothing. These are just the straight lines on the map. And we could also have British Columbia, be truly British Columbia and Alaska Current, because that is at the, 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 the British line. So yeah. I'm suggesting this. Now, right. here's my art historical point, and my, if you will, frustration. When I was 29, one year older, how old, are you 28 now? When I was one year older than you, Jenny Hoster was saying, the current, the present political and economic division of space does not satisfy our needs. True. We work, we, I guess, offices, work towards a reorganization of existing elements into more functional, configura- functional configurations. Well, this is more functional.
2: Yeah.
3: So it's the better. text at the top is from Jenny Holzer. Yeah, right her. And the map that redraws the boundaries yeah. of North America is her was your endor- contribution. It's her the endor- collaboration collaboration. between yeah. the two of you.
0: She made that assertion. The man who inspired this thinking, Ernest Hollenbach, in a book called Ecotopia, saying this will secede. Uh, and we see now that kind of happening with the blue states on the west coast, saying we're gonna break away from US policy vis-a-vis uh, global warming. Right. That man died in 2012. So I made a I made, I re I re, uh, represented this thing and said, well, what, and I wrote an essay, say, so, will this ever happen or never happen? I mean, I don't get it. You, Jenny Hosea, made this statement. I made that statement. Nothing happened. Not one bit happened. Now, Leah might make it happen. She mm-hmm. betrayed Canada, of course. But I, I find, and then, uh, so my art historical question is, Jenny, uh, and maybe Leah can do this, do you or do you not stand by that statement? Now, you can reject the statement, but please do it publicly. Or if you don't, say, you stand by it. We can't have a condition in art history of an artist making a piece and then saying it's only art. It didn't really matter. It doesn't mean anything. It was just a gesture. No, no. Either you say yes or don't say If you want to reject it, you can, you can say, I don't know, I was wrong, but you can't just let it drift.
1: So what we're looking at is a reorganized um, mapping of the Americas. Yeah, North America, NAFTA. Well, of South America, too, no? No, no or down, Central uh, America. down in Colombia. Okay. Um, mm-hmm.
0: but I, mm-hmm.
1: I guess the question posed to you after that statement would be, why do you think artists are the best people equipped to make these radical... Uh, Schematic changes and it goes back to
0: the, what the cave artists did What the cave artists did by showing how to get that animal uh, They are and also the whole idea of I guess I don't know if Leo wants to believe this but the idea of the uh, avant-garde the avant-garde is Ahead of his time you might say it is thinking about things that artists have the antenna of the race to use a phrase from uh, that poet um, whose name escapes me right now anyway Um, the intent of the race uh, artists are the intent of the race they are the feelers and sensitive they sense out the future and uh, I've seen this happen again and again the artists are premonitory for what is being discovered say in science so okay uh, the avant-garde has a problem of course of surviving because nobody cares about them nobody believes in them but we need to find a way of believing them at least enough to have a test now what I've said in as much as I'm 66 and um, who knows how long I'll be alive and so on and who knows what happens in the art world. Um, maybe she would like to pursue the issues of Christ Arcangelo and the idea of functional constructions and then also talk to Peter Naden. Why did Peter, I have it written here in, in this piece, I mean uh, if Peter Naden uh, is doing his farming what does that mean? Why? What can we do with, with him? Uh, what is a practical, functional construction that we might execute? And um, w- w- I mean, she seems to be curious about this. Now, I guess the question is, can we make it happen? We have a long list of artists whose works have not, in any sense, been realized, and they could be, and they're meant to be. Joseph Boyce, for example. Uh, we could write it that, write it off, and say, hey, this is all silly and crap. I mean, that's what Documenta said to me in 1987. It's only art. It doesn't really matter. Well, and I, the German secret police will say about me, uh, well, his art has consequences. Well, I would not do any profession if it didn't have consequences. And I think artists have that function of breaking new ground and identifying new things to do. And I'm asked. my appeal is that there be at least scientific testing of the artworks so we find out if they have any content or any kind of legitimacy and can be somehow adopted which I guess maybe you have to do because I'm going to die relatively soon, at least sooner than you will
3: Where are you